up a powerful story? I'm Mary DeMuth, and in this podcast, I share stories of everyday people who remind you that you're not alone as you untangle your own story. Because of the outrageous generosity of God, I believe you can experience a joyful restory moment right now. Remember, the old is gone, the new awaits. The Restory Show starts now. The Restory Show, Season 3, Episode 13. Today's podcast is brought to you by BookLaunchMentor.com. And if you've ever dreamed of writing your book, publishing your story, just jump on over to BookLaunchMentor.com. There's all sorts of things that you can do to launch your literary work of genius. And there is a product on there that I'd like to highlight today that um, if you are actually to the point where you've actually written your book and you've published it, and now you want to launch it well, I have a book launch checklist that is everything you need to know about launching your book. And it's just this very helpful checklist that you can purchase at booklaunchmentor.com in the store area. So uh, before we get into today's show, I was going to highlight the iTunes review of the week, but I've run out of them. So I can't highlight that. But if you would like to uh, write a review, that would really help the Restory show just to have more distribution and more people to experience these amazing stories. So if you could do that, I would really appreciate it. Also, if you would like to share your own little mini story on the Restory Show, go to marydemuth.com and, and look at the, or click on the little icon that has a microphone, and you can record up to two minutes of your own story to be featured at the end of a Restory Show. So go ahead and do that if you have a chance. And also just a quick note, the Restory Conference registration is going to be opening up in two weeks, and boy, would I love to see you there. We have some great speakers lined up and some great worship. It will be September 16th at Lake Point Church in uh, 2017, and that's a Saturday from 9 to 1. And uh, last year, we had people from all over the world come and and all um, walks of life, and it was just awesome. So if you really want to have a life change, go ahead and consider coming to the Restory Conference. So today I am welcoming Heather McFadden to the Restory Show, and she has a very real and raw story to share with you. I Again, when I start doing this podcast and when I'm interviewing people, I specifically don't want to know what story they're going to share. And so that when I receive the story, I'm receiving it fresh and live. Now, sometimes I may have known what that story was, but I'm still never sure of which one they're going to share. And I had no idea what Heather was going to share. And it was such a fresh story. And she's learned some really great spiritual truth as a result of it. So without further ado, here is Heather McFadden. Hey, everyone. It's Mary with The Restory Show, and I'm so excited to have Heather McFadden on with me. And she is amazing. In fact, she actually interviewed me for her podcast, so we're doing this great swapping of podcasts fun times. And so, Heather, thanks so so much for coming on The Restory Show. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's kind of weird to be in the hot seat myself. (laughs) I know. I'm going to ask you so many personal questions. It's going to be great. (laughs) And I can't edit it. I can't decide like what sounded bad, what was good. I know you're out of control. It's I am. It's the way it should be. Like uh-huh, that's uh-huh. how life should be, and actually, that is how life is. So it makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's going to be my restory too. So there we go. <laughs> okay, good, <laughs> awesome. So uh, give the listeners a little idea about who you are, where you live, how, how you were raised. You met Jesus sometime during all that. You probably have a husband and kids, and just kind of give us a snapshot of who you are. So I live in Dallas now. I am woo-hoo. married. Yeah, Dallas. I'm uh, married and have four boys. Wow. Yeah, talking about not being able to control part of yeah. my story. And um, <laughs> they are five, seven, nine, and 11. Of course they are. So we are. Yes. So we are in it. And I did not grow up in Texas. 
so it's a foreign land to me. Uh, I'm an Indiana girl, and I was the third child um, in a family of four, but my older siblings were 16 and 11 when I was born. Oh, so you're kind of like an only child overachiever type. Yeah. And then I had, I did have a younger brother, but it was like my parents lived two lives. So they were not believers with the first two and they were young. My mom was 17 when she had my sister. And yeah, so they have their own really awesome story to share in that. And then by the time they had us, you know, they're more in their 30s and my dad's career as a lawyer is established and their faith is more secure and they're not legalistic. They're more grace giving. And so it's like two different families. And I grew up with the mom, you know, she was she had her own garden. She's kind of doing all the things she wished she'd done the first go around <laughs> and she got a second chance. So I was homeschooled, actually, from third grade through eighth grade. And my dad would take me every other week. We'd go to a donut shop and we'd, I'd bring my precious moments Bible and we'd <laughs> talk. <laughs> I know. It was a good one. And we'd talk through a Bible story and he would ask me what's going on in my little, you know, life and we'd pray together. And so it was a pretty great upbringing, you know, knew Jesus since I was a kindergartner. And, uh, you know, could say the books of the Bible backwards. I think I got an award in Sunday school once for that. Wow, that is is impressive. Yeah, I know. These were the things. But it was what's interesting to me and part of my story is even in all that seemingly wonderful, magical childhood, I could still struggle. And it's almost my encouragement to the women I know who have brokenness and wounds. And they would say, well, if only... I had had a dad who showed me love. If only my mom hadn't left us. If only then my faith would be perfect. Yeah. (laughs) And I challenge them in that because I say, you know, I had a lot of, I had a lot, I had everything good going for me and still struggled to believe God at my core, in my dailiness, in my choices to surrender my plan to him. I had a lot of fear. I was that child who I slept with the blankets over my head and still as I could, afraid that like robbers would come and look through my window. I was on the second floor. There's no way they could have gotten to my window. <laughs> but they would look in and if they saw no one there, they would go away, which again is ridiculous because of course that'd be the perfect entrance. No one's there. Let's go in this way. So I just had, you know, ridiculous fears and was paralyzed by them at times, um, even with loving parents and the perfect a parent childhood. So, you know, fast forward to uh, how God continues to move in my life. Two years ago, my dad, this is where I started crying. Mm-hmm. My dad was um, diagnosed with colon cancer and my parents had moved five years ago to Costa Rica. He had felt God leading them there and my mom um, followed, which is amazing to me that she did because in her letting him lead, they had five beautiful years, vacation-like years in Costa Rica, and they served and ministered to people down there. And um, she left behind family and friends, and they sold everything to go. But they went down there, and so when he got diagnosed, they actually moved in with my husband and I and our boys and spent the summer with us. And he had surgery and chose not to do chemotherapy and go back to Costa Rica. Fast forward to 18 months, and um, my mom found a lump in her breast. And so I get the call this past November saying, you know, your mom's found something. It could be nothing. And um, we're going to come up to Dallas and um, get it looked at. 
she was diagnosed with aggressive breast cancer. In the week, yeah, the week she started chemo, um, early December of this past year, I came home from picking up the boys and he was outside and I looked at him. I said, you are so yellow. And he said, oh, no, he, he kind of passed it off. And he'd been having some hiccups and some jaw pain. And hmm. we were thinking he had TMJ and we didn't know what was going on. But, you know, I just started, it had the gut, like, this is not good. Um, but, you know, all your focus is on mom because we're she's sick. And so, you know, we were supposed to all go to Florida as a family, all my siblings and all their kids. And my parents had rented this house that was non-refundable. Um, house in Orlando and could we go could we not is my dad too sick is my mom too sick but by God's grace we were all able to go we were all in that home for that week my siblings were able to see my dad pretty sick and um, my nieces and nephews and then uh, we came back to Dallas and he was supposed to have a procedure because he had blocked uh, liver duct and his heart couldn't withstand the procedure and so they admitted him to the hospital actually passed away a week and a half after that. Wow. Early January this year. And uh, when you're a person who fears things mm. and losing and ridiculous fears of robbers in the night or real fears, the person right in front of you that you love. My dad was a very good, loving man who showed me God's love in a tangible way when you see them sick and the doctors are telling you it's weeks and then your worst fears are realized. And then God is still near and his grace was so tangible in the way that he orchestrated and my dad didn't have to suffer long and just how he worked out those last moments with me and my dad. And I realized how much fear was wasted, that it felt kind of pointless at that point. Like, why was I spending so much energy on the thing that wasn't going to change the outcome. Yeah. And just found such a comfort in this like weight was lifted. I'd been such a control freak of my boys and scenarios. And like I said, I'm nervous that I won't be able to edit the show because I want to control it to be able to be in a place of, and people say surrender all the time, but it was like this real lifting off of my shoulders of, yeah, I really can't control anything. And it was just right in my face, right in my face. And even though, you know, I can't control it and it's not what I, the outcome I wanted and I'm still finding God to be close and his goodness to be near and people to be amazing and community and love in the midst of a really hard time. Why am I trying to <laughs> control and manipulate my kids and control and manipulate everything in my path to be this outcome when I have such limited power and limited understanding. I'm in a 12-step program um, with our small group is going through, which you always think 12-step recovery is for like addicts or major issues. And um, I didn't have those major issues. So why would I need to be in a 12-step program? Well, I'm finding like we all do. Mm -hmm, right. It's universal. <laughs> Beliefs and things that are getting in the way of us truly stepping into that grace. And part of that recovery process is recognizing our limitedness and my inability to know all, even though I want to think I do, my inability to control all. So so I often say that control is an illusion. And, and so we live in light of this illusion of that it, it's something that can somehow be attained. And it's not until when life hits us upside the head that we realize 
we truly, all of that work that we do to try to establish control and, you know, and, and I think that's part of being a human too. Like when my life is out of control, I clean closets. It's something I can control and it makes <laughs> me feel better. So it's not that I'm saying you shouldn't do that, but talk a little bit about what it felt like to finally just kind of surrender on your knees and how, what kind of weight was lifted. Cause I have a feeling that there's some people listening who have a tight fist of control and they believe that everything is up to them to try to fix everything and do everything and make sure everybody's happy. And yet they're missing out on the joy of opening their hand. And so what did, how did that feel for you and what did it look like? You know, there were a couple moments I remember in this journey where I got to the end of my ability to fix things. I think it was when we were trying so desperately to find a GI doc, which apparently is very difficult to find right before Christmas. Uh, and I just sat at the dining room table and I'm like, I can't do this, God. I can't. I, I'm like completely under uh, you. You have to do this. And then randomly, my dad randomly or ordained got my dad calls uh, his insurance company and they they worked it out and he found a GI doc. But it was one of those moments where I had been, well, maybe if I call this friend and maybe if I orchestrate this, maybe if I did it, like I was working so hard to make a plan happen. And when I got to the end of myself and I sat there, I was like, oh, this is what it feels like when you make room for God to move. And it's a better plan than any that I could have put together. And so I almost feel like for that person you're talking about, it's harder when it's things that we can control. Like we we can believe the illusion when it's right in front of us, that that child that you can make them go where you want. Well, then they're a teenager and you can't make them as, as easily, you know, or they're an adult child and you can't you can't do anything about their choices. And you but you still have that pull of I want better for their life. And I can't make it happen. And so it's the peace comes when we recognize, okay, God loves me to the same level. God loves my kids to the same level. God loves my dad. And he is working this out. And it may take a train wreck with grace. My kids may have hard things that happen to them to get them to where he needs them to be. And I can surrender and just pray that he will do it as he is planning to do. And that just frees me up. Like it's, it's, it's my half of it. Uh, it's, I call it my part, his part. My part is to hand it over. His part is to make it happen. Yeah. It's a really good answer. I think too, the other thing I wanted to touch on when a really close friend of mine died a couple of years ago, I sat there when I found out that she had passed and she had the demon cancer as such an evil thing. I hate it too. I, I sat there and I thought, you know what? I, I, I really am sitting here thinking, do I really believe all this stuff about heaven and hell and, you know, and an afterlife? And, and so my curiosity is, I mean, for a split second there, I was like, do I really believe this? And then I did, but it was just like that kind of funny little funky thing. Like, have I spent my whole life in this illusion of that this is really true? So my question is like, how, as you were walking through this terrible journey with your dad, how real did heaven seem to you and to him? And how has that kind of informed your life since he passed? Well, one thing that helped was my dad's attitude in the last days. He was like ecstatic to go see Jesus. And he was 
very clear on how he wanted his service to go. He wanted to call it a graduation ceremony. Um, it was just this whole attitude of moving on to a you know a better place, like we always say. But I did have woke up one morning after he'd passed and after the graduation service, and we were back to our real life and back to chemo treatments with my mom. And and I did have that moment. I was like, this is all fake. We have all been believing a lie. There is no heaven. There is no God. Like I literally had that crisis of belief and in God's goodness. And this is where he's moving in. And again, it's a great reason to let go of control. I had an interview scheduled and it was with Sheila Walsh. And I was like, well, I really want to talk to her because she's amazing. And I don't want to reschedule this. And I thought we were just going to talk about a devotional Bible she wrote for kids. So pretty light topic, <laughs> but in only ways that one Holy Spirit who's in her and in me could do, he used her words to minister to me. She brought up a story of her father-in-law living with them and him passing away and her son questioning God and his goodness in it and her counseling her son, which in turn she was actually counseling me, yes, <laughs> uh, to go to him. That even in those rawest places where we start to have those questions, just tell those questions to Jesus. And he will minister to those places. And as she's saying it, I'm like trying not to cry in the interview um, and just feeling God saying, it's okay. I I get those questions. And then he overwhelmed me in my, my Bible study time that my dad had been living his eternal life already. That his bodily death was was just a marker. But eternal life started when my dad claimed salvation. Hmm. And death never had a hold on him. He had already been living it. He just passed from this place into the next. And so there was a peace and a comfort that he gave me personally and thinking through that journey differently. I love that. It, it, it's just, I like his idea of a graduation where we're moving from one phase to another and the one he's moving to, the one he moved to is so much better so much far beyond what we can understand or comprehend in terms of joy and peace and no more sickness and all of that is just so helpful and beautiful when you're mourning. I've been to funerals of people who I was not sure where the heck they were. <laughs> and uh, there's that's a very different kind of grief than the kind of grief of at least I know, and your your father gave you an amazing gift, that you have no qualms about where he would be, you know, and it's such a gift that he gave you. And and I think that's one thing that has I've taken away from some of the losses in my own life is I don't want my family to wonder. If I pass, like if I get hit in a, by a car today and I die, they will know exactly where I'll be. And that is a gift that I give them. But it, it's it's hard to go to a funeral where you're just not sure. And it's 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 those are sad situations, you know, where you just rely on the grace of God and you don't know, but that is a gift that he gave you. Well, and I also loved my uh, dad was very adamant on who spoke and he didn't have us speak, Wow, <laughs> which is good. nice. Yeah. And we didn't have to worry about grieving and speaking. We could just be there and celebrate his life. And uh, But he did choose five different men that I grew up thinking were these, you know, pillars of faith. But it was interesting. Each of them shared how they had grown up in their faith with my dad. And so to me, it was like him saying he was commissioning on them almost by having them stand up and have to tell their testimony in a way. It was like, OK, you're next. You know, go and do these things. Uh, I don't know. It was it was cool to see my dad ministering to these men, even in his passing. 
and how those men have now taken the torch and they're going off to do their own ministries. So I think we can, I don't know, my parents were really big into discipleship, both of them. And that was passed on to me that this is one of the best (laughs) ways we can live out our faith is to help others live out their faith and know God intimately and, and get past all the junk and all the wounds and, and not let those get in the way of, of God talking directly to us. I love that. And I, I think, you know, as you're walking through your current study on the 12 steps, how do you see, or what of the 12 steps feels the most like discipleship to you, or what has been the most helpful for you in your growth lately? Well, we're about to hit the hardest part, which is the inventory, where you have oh, to write down yeah, like people. And I'm thinking, if I write this stuff down, I'm going to need to like hide it between my mattress and box ring. I don't want anyone to ever know. Uh, but it's supposed to reveal, you know, uh, who are the people that you wouldn't want to have dinner with or who have hurt you or who's done something and what is what are your beliefs around that and how does that make you feel? And man, I don't know, that's that is going to be a hard work. I mean, I think I'm only on like step four. Right. <laughs> You're already dreading the last steps. <laughs> I'm barely into this process. Um <laughs> So I don't really know. I, I just I, I honestly think what I shared earlier about the limitedness was really earth shattering to me, recognizing how often I move and act and treat others as if I know everything. And I don't. Um, it's ridiculous to think that I do. But it's a core belief. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's some, it's really pride. And, and I'll, you know, and I don't want to point it out in you, but I'll see it in myself. You know, <laughs> I, it is, it's pride. I got this under control. I'm smart. I'm relying on my intellect. I'm relying on my wherewithal. And was talking with a counselor recently and they were talking about how even dismissing other people, like if someone's hurt you and they've hurt you for, you know, 4,000 times and you're like, okay, I'm done. And you, you erect a wall and you you dismiss them and you write them out of your life. Um, in some ways, that can be very wise in terms of boundary issues. But making that kind of snap decision, uh, the counselor said, well, that's pride. And I, I was like, well, I'm not, no, I don't know how that works if that's pride. And so as I thought about it, I thought, yeah, maybe that is pride because it's I'm making a decision about what I think is best for my heart apart from the Lord. And so that was really convicting to me. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so then that gets back to this whole idea of control. Well, and I'll tell you, um, if someone's listening and maybe they have a friend going through a hard season or they're going through a hard season themselves, um, a gal I know, right when all this was starting, she's our piano teacher too. So she's coming into our house once a week and seeing all this go on. And she gave me this book that someone had given her called Red Sea Rules. Have you heard of this? Oh, yes. I've read that. That's really good. Yeah. It was one of those lifelines when I couldn't pick up my Bible in that season. But this book, it's short. It's by Robert Morgan. Um, its basic premise is to look at the story of the Israelites who are standing in front of a Red Sea with the Egyptians coming up behind them in an impossible place. And what rules or lessons can we learn from that process of them having to trust God and him making a way? Now, in my situation, the way that wasn't the way I thought it would be. I thought, well, the way would be God heals my dad, right? That's the way. Um, But the way was really, uh, you know, taking my dad from this place and and, uh, healing him fully in God's presence. But that book, every day I would read a little bit and it would perfectly center me for what came at me that day. Things that um, I'll tell people, you know, you got to give yourself grace in these situations because you've never done them. 
I'd never spent a day where I'd shaved my mom's head and then picked out flowers for a casket and then had to meet with at a funeral home. I had never done that before. And so I need to give myself grace that I may not do it perfectly (laughs) and I may not know what's coming and I need to rely on God even more in those places of the nevers. I've never walked those paths before and the Israelites had never been in that situation before. And I think that's part of the, the, the stress of life is that we have expectations of how our lives are supposed to go. Mm-hmm. And there's so many nevers ahead of us. And, and since God is a creative storyteller, I think kind of part of him is like laughing in heaven, like, hey. I mean, not in a mean way, <laughs> but like, she has no idea how I'm going to like, totally, it's going to be completely different than what she thinks it's going to be. And even in that, even if it's a good thing that happens, there's grief because it's not how you expected. And you had prepared your life for a particular worldview or a particular way that your world is going to go. And then it doesn't happen. And then you're like, am I going to trust God through the middle of it? And I think that's, that's what's beautiful about Red Sea Rules. It helps you kind of deal with this kind of unknown situation you're walking in. That, there's that quote of when God wants to do an impossible task, he takes an impossible person and breaks them. Yeah. And I, I think that's really true. Yeah. And, and Robert in that book quotes a lot of missionaries who are in way worse situations than I've ever found myself in and how they find God to be ever present, um, even in the worst of the worst. And, you know, like you said, there's this predictable storyline that we all think we're living <laughs> and, and exactly what your show is called. He restories it. He, he reorchestrates, he rewrites it in uh, ways that we could have never imagined possible. That's so true. Before I ask my final two questions, I want to kind of shift over to your ministry and your podcast and tell the listeners a little bit about what your heart is in in creating that podcast and and the ministry that you do. I think it it really started from me recognizing pride in myself. And uh, I was speaking in front of a mops group and talking about how pride, you know, is us in the center and how I tried to mother from a place of, you know, child-centeredness and making it all about them, which is really all about me. Because <laughs> how do they look? Uh, yeah, how do they look? How are they making me look? And, yes. um, and all the stresses of that and how humility, where as I thought it had been, you know, woe is me, was more about getting out of the center and letting God be the center. And that's where God-centered mom came from was less about who are, you know, doing the exact perfect thing so my kids turn out amazing and I'm a great Christian mom, but more about this motherhood part is, is is a part of my journey. It's if I'm really f- looking to God, he will direct all the pieces and parts of that story. And so the goal in the podcast is to help moms know God better. And so they can hear from him on how to parent their kids in the way that they should go, but not necessarily like, well, you should do this and you should read this book. And <laughs> that's not really my goal. I like that. And I appreciate that. And I think that's one of the things I've written a couple parenting books. And basically, my advice is, I didn't know what the heck I was doing all the time. And so all I did was to like get on my knees and beg Jesus for help. And that's basically my parenting style. Um, <laughs> it's not very flashy. Uh, but it's effective in the sense of it keeps me dependent on him. And I think a, a mommy with a changed heart and a dependence on the Lord is really going to change the world through her kids and and just through herself too, just the surrenderedness, which seems to be the theme of what we're talking about today. Yeah, totally. And so how do people find you? 
Uh, anything that says God-Centered Mom. So perfect. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, GodCenteredMom.com. That's great. You did well on your branding. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> I teach that at BookLaunchMentor.com. Okay, so. good. Good. Well, I've been wanting to change it so many times, but I'm like, I'm kind of stuck with this. So. Yep. Yep. So what kind of advice would you give to someone who's facing maybe a, a friend or a family member in a very serious illness like you have just recently walked through and are still walking through with your mom? I think, you know, I interviewed one gal who herself was going through cancer and she has passed since we did the interview. She gave great advice on how to be a friend and the times like this. And it was, don't text, you know, what can I do for yes. you? Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> just do it. Yeah. Just do it. So just show up with food. Um, a good friend, Kay Wyma, she has older kids. She just dropped off coolers full of groceries um, or, you know, you're at the, if you're at the grocery store, just text, hey, I'm here. Is there, do you need something? My friend who herself was going through chemo, she would sit, just leave her laundry on the front porch and people would do it and bring it back folded. The people who have just shown up and done it without me having to orchestrate and, you know, dictate how what it looks like has been super helpful. Yeah. And don't ask, how are you doing? <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. That's the <laughs> worst. <laughs> like either, like how long do we have? Because the amount of complex emotions I'm feeling right now, I couldn't, I don't have a summary statement to give you at this point. Exactly. We were walking through things too. And I was at my life group last week and someone asked me how I was doing. And I'm sure that they regretted asking that question. It's like, <laughs> well, I'm not doing very well, but uh, yeah. that's okay. Yeah. Um, In the head tilt, I would show up at church. It was really hard to go back to church after all this. I think because it happened over the holidays and everyone's kind of on break and doing their own lives. And then I come back and and, you know, everyone wants to acknowledge that something horrible has happened, but they don't know how. And I get that. Um, but it's hard to be on the receiving end of it and person after person after person and almost receiving their grief. I don't know how to explain it, but I, it's a weird thing. And so one thing that was helpful was a friend of mine who she had just lost her dad this summer. She said, well, I'll just meet you there and I'll go with you. And that was very helpful to know that I had a person who I was going to meet and sit with and kind of, uh, <laughs> I don't know, if call it, what is that person that's um, in front of a bar? A bouncer. Like she was my bouncer. So she was my bouncer, like to kind of reflect anything and, and you know, the whole head tilts when people would see me kind of thing. So we, you've kind of answered this, but maybe just kind of in summary, how has God restoried you in the past year? I think he's doing a deep work in, in this con area of control. He's really getting in my face about it and causing me to meet with my deep held beliefs about trusting him. And it's still a work in progress. Like I said, I have to do my inventory and that's going to really churn up a bunch of stuff <laughs> because it's not like I'm all fixed now and constantly surrendering. It's well, the homework battles are still happening every afternoon and I'm wanting to control that. So yeah, he's still doing a major work in my heart on that area. And that's good to hear too, because we're always a work in progress. And I sometimes have wrongly thought, okay, when I get to this... <laughs> this nirvana, I'm done. And then I don't have to ever visit it again. And that's such a lie because you will be triggered and things will happen and it, and you'll have another layer of healing. It's not, an, it's not that you arrive at it. It's just that there's another layer to go through and uh, that layer will be completely healed on the other side. But here we're going to be messed up. <laughs> that's the good news and the bad news, I guess. I don't know. Most definitely. Most definitely. 
But the good news is being messed up makes you like run to Jesus. So that is very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> or it makes you run away. So then that's not helpful. I guess you have a choice. You yes. have a choice. To or from. Yep. Well, Heather, thank you so much for sharing your story today. It's so, so, so raw and so like not very long ago. So I'm grateful that you're willing to share it and and uh, I think it's going to really bless people who are walking a similar journey or anyone that's lost anybody because all of us on this earth have. And so thank you for sharing like the initial part of your grief journey. It's been such a blessing. Well, thank you for having me, Mary. It was fun. The fun and fun and hard. <laughs> fun to cry. It's good. I have to cry once a day. That's part of my healthy grief. And I watch This Is Us. That's the other. Yes, that'll do favorite. it. This Is Us will make you have a weekly <laughs> it's healthy cry. It's a little cry. bit too close to home sometimes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm. Yes. But thank you for having me. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Restory Show. Do you mind if I pray for you? Lord, I pray for all of those out in the listening audience today whose expectations have been shattered, who have lost someone close to them that it was not expected. And even if it was expected, Lord, the grief of that is so large. And I pray that um, you would shoulder the grief. I thank you that you understand what it's like to have grief and that you grieve alongside each of us as we walk through this, this broken world and we are broken by so many things. So Jesus, would you come near today? And I don't have any platitudes to offer. I don't have any cliches to give, but I do know that you love the brokenhearted and you come to the aid of those who are bent beneath their loads and that you are strong in our weakness. So I pray for all those things today, for for strength, for power, for perspective, for surrender, and for peace. I pray all this in Jesus' name. If you'd like to know more information about today's show, head on over to marriedemuth.com forward slash restory 3-13 and may you live a brand new story this week.